Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads to Raleigh, North Carolina this weekend for an exciting and somewhat under-the-radar card headlined by Curtis Razorblades and Junior Dos Santos. And we have Curtis Razorblades on today's show talking about that matchup in the heavyweight division in general. We'll also be talking to newcomer Nate Landwer, who is talking about his UFC debut, as well as all of his time with M1 Global over in Russia. This guy is an absolute ticket to hear on the mic. You guys are going to want to tune into that interview. Plus, we're talking with Justine Kish about her two years away from the UFC, where she been, why she been away for that long. She will give us the answers to all those questions. Plus, we are going to be doing our Fights, Dogs, and Parlay section where we break down our three favorite fights on the card as well as an underdog and a parlay that you should play if you're gambling with us. And let me tell you, you should be gambling with us because last week we gave you two dogs and two parlays. All four of them hit. You would have been cleaning house if you were betting with us. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Lambs. Visit GetLambs.com to check out their innovative line of radiation-proof clothing. I want to ask you something. How many hours do you spend on your phone in a day? How much time do you sit with a laptop in your lap? Well, let me tell you. For me, it's about five hours a day with all the writing and interviews and podcasting I do. And that's part of the reason why I wear Lambs. Their EMF blocking apparel makes it such that I don't have to worry about what the radiation is doing to my most valuable assets, nor do I have to give up giving you guys the content that you love each and every week, right? Like you want to be able to hear Top Turtle MMA, not having me giving it up over, you know, worried about radiation messing with my goods. And there's no reason that I have to anymore because Lambs protects all of that. Now, on top of that, it is also incredibly comfortable comfortable literally it's the most comfortable underwear i own i wear all the time so there's no reason to for you not to go out and get you some now there's even less of a reason for you to wait to do that because i have an exclusive promo code for listeners of this show when you buy from getlamps.com make sure to use promo code mma to get a nice discount on your very first order there and don't forget to stay up to date on all of the developments of GitLambs like apparel and women's underwear, both of which will be coming soon to GetLambs.com. You can do that across social media platforms at GetLambs. That's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. GetLambs brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Curtis Blades, who fights Junior Dos Santos as the headliner of UFC in Raleigh, North Carolina on January 25th. So, Curtis, you've fought some of the great names in the heavyweight division. You know, you beat Mark Hunt, you beat Alistair Overeem. Give me sort of your feelings when they came at you with the name Junior Dos Santos with the chance of the headliner. It was the only uh, logical opponent at the at the time, because I needed a top five guy, I wasn't going to take another Justin Willis or Shamir So I was expecting it. So, so you had him circled on your radar as as the only viable option. You know, there there are a couple others ahead of him, right? Like you could, you know, uh, Daniel Cormier is is ahead of you in the rankings, but you you definitely had Junior Dos Santos circled. DC already. 
you know, BC was not a viable option. And yeah, junior, I was not uh, surprised in the least when he was offered. Uh, I was honestly expected. Interesting, interesting. So I, I do want to, to backtrack to I mean, I've called on DC several times. And I, that's why I don't do it no more. People always ask me, why don't you call out DC? It's like going up to the hot girl high school, asking her out for a date two, three times. I don't do that. I ask once or twice, you don't want it. And, okay. So I wasn't going to ask again. I love that mentality. Now, uh, you know, obviously being ranked three at heavyweight, like you said, it, it left you, you know, not a ton of people who you could call out. And really, with a win here, it puts you in kind of a short pool for, a, you know, being a contender in the heavyweight division. What do you feel like you have to do in 2020 to get a chance at the title shot? Oh, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, it's the UFC. You don't know. Uh, you got guys like Justin Gaethje. He was, was in the same exact position. He he should be up for the next title uh, fight at 155, but a lot of speculation is he's going to get passed over. So rankings don't really mean a whole lot. I don't know what you have to do to get a title shot. But like I just said, you got guys like Gaethje, three-fight, one streak, just dropping guys left and right, and he's about to get passed over. So... Uh, you never know. You never know what's who's gonna get the next one. So does that worry you? As, does that worry you as a potential challenger, or or do you just try to block that out? Do you try not to think about it and only think about the fight? It's very easy to block out because I don't. I'm I'm not one to waste mental energy on things that are out of my control. I just cause the stress. My life has enough stress. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I, I do got to ask you, too, because obviously you got a champion sitting and waiting for, you know, a, a challenger to step up in Steve Miocic. He, he doesn't have a fight booked right now. Who who do you think rightfully should get the next crack at him? I, mean, I have no problem to give it to D.C. or um, I guess really is it D.C. Because Donald has a, a matchup and we have to see if he wins that and I have I have my own matchups, so the only guy to sneak out of the fight will be DC. Matchups are very easy. Just gotta look at the board and connect the dots. Makes sense to me. Now I, I do want to talk too, because you know, like you said, it's pretty easy to connect the dots when you're making matches. But there is also a lot of speculation about you know people changing divisions and stuff. I do want to get your thoughts on how you feel about John Jones and how he would potentially fit into the heavyweight division and maybe how you personally would match up with him. I mean, obviously, John Jones is one of the GOATs, an uh, amazing fighter. I'm sure he would tear up the majority of, of heavyweights because he's got the reach, he's got the frame. Um, he, could, he could be a most heavyweights out are over 240 pounds, so he could easily get there. And uh, I don't know how I match up with him because you don't get that look anywhere. You don't find guys who are six, six five, six five and a half with 84 inch arms that has his skill set. So I'm just going off video. I I would like to believe I'd be able to 
take him down and run and pound him, but it's John Jones, so I'm not going to speculate really unless I unless the matchup is ever actually offered. That's another one. Uh, another one of those uh, mental energy would just be a waste to put into that because there's so many other things that are there are so many other opponents in my division that I could put real energy into, like Stipe or or another one winning down to. And those are actual options. I'm not so sh- I'm not really sh- sure if John Jones will ever bump up the heavyweight because he doesn't have to. Like so, and he already just paid a lot at his current weight class. So what would be his reason for bumping up and being the smaller man? I don't know because no one wants to be the smaller man in the fight. That that, cer- that certainly seems to be true. Now I'm gonna you know change that mental energy into somebody who does matter, and that's Junior Dos Santos. Uh, a lot of people are seeing this fight as kind of a styles clash. You know, he's seen as more of the boxer. You're seen as the tough ground and pound wrestler. I- is that sort of how you see this fight, or do you feel like you can box with him too? I feel like I can box with anybody, but I don't have to box with anybody because I'm always the better wrestler. I know fans want want the whole just bleed and stand and bang. I guess I've gotten to the point where I just don't care what fans want. I know I can win easier if I wrestle. I could I could win on my feet, but why get bruised up? Why why potentially break my fist? Why potentially get a broken nose or get stitches when I could just take them down and not get hit? Why not? Yeah, that makes a whole lot, hell of a lot of sense to me. So I, I can tell that that's the way that you see this fight going. Do, do you have a prediction for us? Do you, do you have uh, a round you think you can get him out in? I mean, I can get him out in the first. I, we don't know. Uh, the whole prediction thing is... Yeah, that's, that's one of the problems with MMA. Call rounds that did it. Jose. People need to understand that was that was a one in a million type of call. You you never know when you're gonna finish a guy. I didn't know I was gonna finish Alistair. I wasn't even looking to finish Alistair. My finish just happened uh, in the process of my ground and pound. So it just I guess it depends on how tough his head is. Well, wow, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I, I certainly love that energy going into the fight. Uh, and Curtis, we we want to thank you for the time once again. This was Curtis Blades, who fights Junior Dos Santos as the headliner of UFC in Raleigh, North Carolina, on January 25th. Curtis, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Nate Landwehr, who fights. Herbert Burns at UFC in Raleigh, North Carolina on January 25th. So, Nate, I want to start by talking about uh, the beginning of your your time in M1. Because, you know, you're a kid from Clarksville, Tennessee. You're on the Tennessee regional circuit. And here you go. You wind up with a five-fight deal with the biggest Russian MMA company in the world. How does that come about? And, you know, my manager at the time, Jason Ellis, got it. Let me start off by saying I am in the UFC and this week is the week I've been waiting for. Um, M1 was great to me, man. It was like a damn Rocky movie over there, you know. 
like a kid's dream come true, go to Russia, play the Rocky theme music, come out, beat everybody up, become the champion, defend the belt, and get the shot at the big dime. Well, and I was going to ask you, too, you know, you spent all that time over in Russia and some of the fights were in some countries nearby. How, how did the fans receive you? Did they see you as sort of the villain or, or did they, you know, come to love you, especially as the champ? They loved me, man. They loved the way I fight, the aggressiveness, the way I'm a damn savage. I'm a killer. I'm coming to kill. I'm not coming to win. I'm not coming to score points. I'm not trying to beat you by the round. I'm trying to finish a man in there. And that's what I've done. And, uh, yeah, man, I got fans worldwide, baby. I, I love it. Now, I got a question, too. You know, obviously, it seems like if you look at your social media, you, you've got quite a few friends from your time over there in Russia. Did you do a bunch of training, too, or is that just friends you made, uh, you know, sort of from your time backstage at M1 events? Um, you know, the, the week was building up to the fight. We got to local gyms. We train like you do when you're getting prepared and you go to a different country. But mainly, man, those guys that was in behind the scenes just – we become a brotherhood. They do. People res- tend to respect you when they meet you and they realize that you are really are that real and it's not an act and you're just coming to, and you're a fucking savage. They, the guys from Kazakhstan call me the Kazakhstanian superhero. They got a little shirt. They all love me. <laughs> oh, that, that's awesome. Now, let's talk about it because you already mentioned it. You know, It's your dream to be in the UFC. You've been fighting for M1. You've got three title fights under your belt. You get that phone call. What's that phone call like? I mean, the phone call, I already knew it was coming because with the time, with the way the M1 built into the design, you get the belt, you defend the belt, you get the you get an automatic contract. Mm-hmm. So it was real cool. My boy, uh, Brian, with Sucker Punch Management, made it happen even better. I actually declined the first offer to UFC, maybe, because it wasn't good enough, and I'm not begging. Interesting, interesting. And, and did it take them a long time to come back with the second one? Because I, I, I'm sort of interested by that. Oh man, you know we were just we was in Korea at the time, traveling, having a good time over there on vacation. And uh, by the time I got back, the deal was done. I mean, I wasn't worried about it. I was getting paid really well, and M1 treated me real well. I knew, hell, I'll take another fight with M1, get paid, and I'm not waiting around. I'm not going. I'm not a short notice guy. I'm not a last minute guy. I'm a guy. You tell the date. And I tell you, yes. Hell, when my manager told me about this fight, he couldn't even get out Herbert's first name. He was like, Hurt. and I was like, yeah, January <laughs> January 25th is fine with me. That That's awesome. Now, also, you know, it, it's kind of exciting because, like I said, you're a guy from Tennessee. It's not super close to Clarksville. You know, it's probably like eight hours or a little bit more away. But this fight is on U.S. soil, kind of close to home. Oh, it's super close. This might as well be next door compared to Moscow. <laughs> and what's that feel like? You know, is there a huge relief of not having to travel all that way? Is there extra pressure with family? What, what's that feel like to you? Oh, man, I'll be even fresher, even more energy, even better off. No, no. I mean, I'm talking about an hour and a half trip versus a 30-hour voyage. I'm talking about this an hour difference in the time zone instead of 14. I mean, I'm talking about fresh Big stage. I mean, think about it. I fought in front of the big stages at the main event. I've been on the Megatrons. I've did the pre-fight interviews in front of thousands. Put a microphone in my hand. All the check marks have been checked. I've been bled. I've been bleeding in there. I've got rocked. I've been slammed on my head. 
I'm going to keep coming. There's nothing that's going to be different. It's just the name of the game. Now it's the UFC. That's right. And, and you know, you mentioned being that main event, too. Now, obviously, you're not going to start that way in the UFC. And you probably, you know, will make a journey up pretty quickly with your, your mic skills. But with that being said, like, is it going to be weird not doing that, that pre-fight interview? Oh, hell yeah. We're mad. We're not a, we're not a first fight of the prelims type dude. We're mad. But we also know, prove yourself at all time. And on January 25th on ESPN+, Plus, I will prove that point. When I defeat Herbert Burns in devastating fashion, he will not last. He cannot last. And he will be destroyed. Well, I'm glad you brought him up because I did want to break down that fight a little bit, too. He's obviously well-known for his grappling, right? The Burns family kind of have that pedigree. What are your thoughts on, on how he brings that grappling and how that fits into your style? I feel like he's going to be a desperate man, a desperate, desperate, desperate man with the fear of God, whatever God he believes in real quick. Because, I mean, I'm hitting him hard. and I'm hitting him hard right off the rip, and I'm going to be right in his jawline. I mean, the, bre- the breath he's taking in is the breath I'm exhaling. I love that. Now, I, I will ask you for an official prediction because it seems like you're the type of guy who's willing to give me one. If you had to predict exactly how this one goes down, what's your prediction? I feel like he might make it the first round, but he will if he does make if if he does make it through that first round, he will not make it through the second. I love it. Now, I do want to ask you one more question because I noticed when you're in M1 and, and up for all of your fights, really, you've usually got something from that says Clarksville on you to, to rep as you walk out. Obviously, with the Reebok deal, they kind of pigeonhole what you can and cannot wear. Do you have something in mind to keep repping Clarksville when, when you're in the UFC? Man, I'm mad about that, honestly. And, uh, yeah, when I win, it's going to be the first thing I say. And, uh, I mean, my people in the in the crowd is going to be repping my shit real hard. I mean, my apparel will be out there in the stands. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. Now, I do got to ask you one more time. Like, So you, you, you're used to being on the mic. How badly do you need that post-fight interview after this one to make sure you can say that stuff and, and to get people to know who you are? Oh, man, that's, that's the second reason that I, went, that I wanted to be in the UFC is worldwide notoriety. You got 10 seconds on that mic after you fight that the whole world hears you. And the first reason was I'm trying to be on that video game so all the doubters and the haters got to skip past me when they pick their favorite player. Oh, I love that too. And and, and so you're, are you a video game player or is it just that you know that you want to be on that video game? Oh, baby, I'm going to be on that video game. We're talking about a couple fights in. We're going to be on there. You got to skip past me if you don't want to play with me. <laughs> all right. Well, we're looking forward to it. Uh, once again, this is Nate Landwehr who fights Herbert Burns at UFC in Raleigh, North Carolina on January 25th, a fight you do not want to miss. Nate, thank you so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And those interviews with Curtis Razorblades and Nate Landwehr are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. This thing is absolutely incredible. It helps you no matter what martial arts you're training. They've got over 35 that you can program in. Sambo, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, boxing, whatever it is you do. And it will help you track all of your training sessions so that you can make sure that you are making the progress that you want to make. You can make notes, you can list your belt level, you can make friends on there. There's all kinds of cool features to it, 
And, and let me tell you something. You can also list your competitions, which is a great way to stay on top of how well you're doing and whether or not you want to be doing more competitions. So check out all the features they've got, Maroon Social, and you can get it wherever you download your apps. Now I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, joined again by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Now, Dave, I know that Blades talked about DC turning him down a couple of times, but how great of a matchup would that actually be? I really do love me some Curtis Blades. That would be an awesome matchup when I think about it. It's really funny to me, and I'm sure we'll get into this in our next segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, as we break down the main event of this week's upcoming UFC fights. But Curtis Blades, you know, the only real, uh, I guess, bad spots on his resume are against Francis Naganu, And I sort of feel it's ironic that he's going against Junior Dos Santos, who is always kind of like that, you know, 1A, 1B to Cain Velasquez when he was in his prime. And it sort of feels like we'd be talking so much uh, with more respect about Curtis Blades if he just didn't have the two losses to Francis Naganu. So I almost wonder if he's kind of become the junior Dos Santos to Francis Naganu being a Cain Velasquez, if that makes any sense. It, it does make a little sense, but it isn't it also kind of funny about how the styles seem to be somewhat different, right? Like Curtis Blades has got a little bit more of the Cain Velasquez style, right? Like a mauler. Whereas uh, Junior yeah. Joe Santos and Francis Naganu have it. But yeah, and like, if you look back at their first matchup too, and you're right, he would definitely have tons more respect around his name if uh, if he had actually, you know, if he had beaten him one of the two times. One time he got clipped really early, and the other time he like took rounds off of, of Francis Naganu. So it, it's not like he was beaten badly by him twice or embarrassed by him in any way. So it, it's kind of crazy to think about the fact that, that it did come from that. I think if Naganu ends up, you know, winning this heavyweight title, as I think a lot of us assume he probably will sometime in the next year, uh, and then if they wanted to, ma- I'm not opposed, even though Blades is 0-2 against him, just because of what you said right there, which is that it's not like he was outright embarrassed. He got clipped by Naganu, which there's no shame in that. And we've seen Blades be pretty fucking violent himself, as evidenced by when he turned um, Alistair Overeem's head into a pinata. I'm not opposed to seeing that matchup one last time. No, no, and I think that that's the perfect stage for a trilogy, too, because, you know, it's, it's sort of like he said here. He's running out of people to fight, right? Like, if he goes in there and he mauls Junior Dos Santos, like, who's left? DC has turned him down a bunch of times. Stipe's the champ. And, and then there's another bout with Naganu. So, like, I mean, like, running low on options there. All right, uh, let's keep the train moving. We have our favorite segment back on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We're going to be breaking down a few fights, giving you a couple underdogs you can bet on, a parlay you might want to play. We're pretty good at what we do, so you're welcome. And I do want to mention that this segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, is brought to you by the Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational, taking place February 1st, Super Bowl weekend, in Poughkeepsie, New York, Some of the highest level grapplers from the state of New York and the Northeast will be participating in their eight man uh, welterweight tournament. Winner takes home a cool one G in cash prize. Uh, This is going to be an awesome event. If you are a grappling nerd, like we are follow them on social media, Hudson Valley grappling invitational friend of the show. Kurt Chase Patrick will be competing on this. I myself shockwave Dave will be competing on this. It's the Hudson Valley grappling invitational and they sponsor this segment of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Gumby, let's get right into it. Let me ask you, though, before we start, are you ready? Of course I'm ready. 
All right, so we'll start with the main event, of course. We've already kind of picked around it a little bit. Now let's get into the meat of it. Curtis Blades is on a two-fight win streak since losing to the aforementioned Francis Ngannou via TKO. He picked up a unanimous decision win over Justin Willis and a TKO win over Shamil Abdurrahimov. He'll be fighting a veteran at this point, JDS, coming off a loss to Francis Ngannou. So these two guys can talk about their losses to Francis Ngannou after they fight each other this Saturday. Isn't that nice? Maybe it's the start of a budding friendship. Who knows? Before the loss to Francis Ngannou, JDS beat Derek Lewis, beat Tai Tuivasa, and beat Blago of uh, Ivanov uh, three wins in a row, but then ran into the buzzsaw of Francis Ngannou. So he's three and one in his last four, dating back to January 2018. If you want to go uh, bet some money on this, Blades betting off at a minus 245 favorite. JDS a plus 205 dog. Who you got? I'm going with Curtis Blades here. You know, like in addition to thinking that his striking probably wouldn't be better than Dos Santos, but wouldn't be that blown out of the water by Dos Santos. I also think he's younger, more athletic, and the likelihood of him getting a bunch of vicious takedowns and grounded pound at this point in JDS's career is just too obvious to me. Uh, I think the lines are just about right on this. At negative 245, you know, you're going to have to put down 250 to win 100 bucks it's not super tempting, right? Unless you're the type of person who likes to play big favorites like that. But I think it makes 100% sense why Curtis Blades would be that big of a favorite. And I think the path to victory is pretty obvious as he outlined himself. You know, uh, it's so funny because we uh, we know in this heavyweight division, we just saw it uh, with Alexia Linick this past weekend fighting at age 42. You could be a little older in the heavyweight division. Speed, not that important uh, per se in the heavyweight division. Junior Dos Santos at 35, it feels like he's 50. Uh, we've seen him lose big uh, by TKO in big fights to Velasquez uh, twice. Uh, yeah, once to Velasquez, excuse me, uh, to Alistair Overeem, to Stipe, and then coming off the one to Francis Naganu. Is Blades a better striker than him straight up? No, probably not. But when he chains it together with his really uh, almost world-class wrestling for that division, he's really one of the better takedown artists in the division, of course, along with DC, who has uh, Olympic credentials. Um you know, I, I think Blades, like you said, pieces this win together, and he's just so much younger and more athletic. Even though JDS for the heavyweight division, 35, it's not that old, right? No, no, I don't think he's that old for it, but, like, the mileage is there for Junior Dos Santos, right? Like, three bouts with Cain Velasquez does something to a man, right? Like, being hit in the head by, by Francis Naganu the way he was does something to a man. Like, you're right, 35, not terribly old. We just saw Alexi Olenek last week pick up a win at freaking 42, and he looked like a spring chicken. But but that being said, like, Alexi Olenek hasn't been blasted in the head as many times by as high-level competition as Junior Dos Santos is. And I think that that mileage has begun to rack up a little bit on him, as you could kind of see a little bit in the, the Naganu fight. And, and for that reason, I'm all over Blades at, at this these odds and in this fight if I'm picking straight up. Well, I'll tell you what I'm all over, and that's RDA's next fight, and this fight in general. RDA versus Michael Chiesa. RDA a minus 270 favorite. Michael Chiesa, the plus 230 dog. I really can't wait to unwrap this one. RDA kind of had an interesting career crossroads. Uh, he makes his welterweight debut in 2017, picks up three nice wins over Tarek Safadine, Neil Magny, Robbie Lawler, then runs into the 
buzzsaws of the division, the top of the division, Colby Covington, Kamara Usman, loses by unanimous decision of both of them in much the same way, too. Uh, and, of course, they just fought for the title in a classic match. Uh, comes back May of 2019, picks up a big win over Kevin Lee via arm triangle choke, uh, but then loses to Leon Edwards in July. So, you know, RDA right now is one and three in his last four, dating back the last two years. He's going to be fighting Michael Chiesa, always a fun, exciting fighter. Chiesa on a two-fight win streak himself, uh, win via Kimura over Carlos Condit, win via unanimous decision over Diego Sanchez. If you want to peel it back further, he lost via triangle armbar to Anthony Pettis and lost via rear naked choke to Kevin Lee before that. Chiesa has good MMA jiu-jitsu, but two submission losses in a row. So he is two and two in his last four, dating back the last three years. That's going back to 2017. He's the dog here. Who do you have? I'm going with RDA, even even though Michael Chiesa's last two wins have been since his move up to welterweight. And, and I think welterweight is a good fit for him. I just think RDA is a little bit of a stylistic nightmare for him, right? Like, what what is the biggest problem RDA has in fights? It's guys that can back him down and wrestle him up, right? Like, that's what Usman did. Uh, that's what Covington did. To, to some extent, backing him down and working him over is a little bit what Leon Edwards did. And, and as you mentioned, all those guys, top five in the division. All three of those guys are in the top. Well, one's the champ, but the other two are in the top five of the division. So... Michael Chiesa right now, unranked at welterweight. The two guys he's beat are guys he should beat and who are on the tail end of their career. Sure, his jiu-jitsu is great, and I'd love to see his jiu-jitsu go head-to-head with Dos Anjos if it did hit the mat. I just don't think it's going to get a chance to hit the mat. And if this stays on the feet, RDA is clearly the favorite for a reason. His striking is far better than than Michael Chiesa when it comes to it, which is why he's a negative 270 favorite. Like, right, there's, there's not a lot of close odds on this main card. And for that reason, you know, I'm, I'm on RDA here, too, unless Chiesa can do something pretty weird and get him to the ground. I agree with you. I really don't have much to add to that. I mean, I think Chiesa, always a live dog. Like I said, he is an action fighter. He's a tough guy. Uh, you know, he would have to turn it into a dog fight. You'd need to see a lot of scrambles. And he'd need to find, he'd need to find that way to get RDA pinned up against the cage and then take him down. And like you said, I just don't see that happening. If this takes place largely on the feet, I go with RDA striking all day over Michael Chiesa. Let's move then to maybe a fight that uh, is a little, eh, no, it's about the same when it comes to the odds. Arnold Allen is minus 275 favorite. He's taken on Nick Lentz, a plus 215 dog. Arnold Allen, I feel like, had super prospect status, then didn't really have prospect status. But when you look at it, he's 6-0 and in the UFC. He's coming off the unanimous decision win over the aging Gilbert Melendez. Beat Jordan Rinaldi before that. Beat Mads Burnell. Makwan Amirakani went down to him, Yutsen Meza, and Alan Omer. So maybe not the most impressive resume, but again, 6-0 and in the UFC, has a guillotine choke in there, uh, has a front choke in there against Mads Burrell. So he certainly has some jiu-jitsu. We appreciate that. Nick Lentz has been in the UFC for goddamn a decade now. <laughs> Made his debut in 2009. He's coming off a TKO loss to Charles Oliveira but had picked up two wins before that over uh, Scott Holtzman via unanimous decision, uh, TKO head kick uh, to Gray Maynard, had lost to David Timer before that, 
beat Will Brooks before that. So, uh, and lost to Islam Makachev before that, which is to say he's three and three in his last six. He wins two, he loses two, he wins one, he loses one. And that's kind of been the, the story of Nick Lentz's career here for at least the last five to six years. Who you taking? I like Arnold Down here. You know, you mentioned a lot of those fights there for Nick Lentz. Those are all lightweight fights, or at least a lot of them are. And for me, you know, thinking about him going back down in weight, I'm worried about how well his gas tank holds up as a result of it, right? Like, he's a guy who likes to grapple. He likes to get into the clinch. He likes to work against the fence. He is going to be fighting a hyper-athletic 145-pounder with good submission skills if he does try to take him to the ground, right? Like, he's got a front choke. He's got good guillotines. Like, he's got tons of submission attacks if you do try to get him down. So even when he's fresh, I worry about Nick Lentz getting into that kind of match. And in in the end, I, I don't think he will be fresh for long enough. And as a result, Arnold Allen is an absolute punisher when you look like you're getting tired. He's a guy who's put lots of fighters away. And I, I mean, like, again, these odds haven't been close on the main card, but there's a good reason why they're not, right? Like, Arnold Allen is a rightful favorite and should blow right through Nick Lenz here. Uh, I share a nickname with her, and we're going to get to our uh, dog here. Uh, and you said it yourself, there aren't a lot of close fights on this, but this one, you know, maybe a little closer in that regard. Hannah Shockwave Cyphers, a plus 145 dog. We're picking her over Angela Hill. Why? Uh, so I like Shockwave for a couple of reasons. Uh, not just the nickname uh, commonality, but I also like Shockwave because she, she's somebody who I've been really impressed with the output she's had. If people remember back to her fight with Macy Barber in her debut, uh, you know, she hit Macy Barber a lot on the exits from clinches. Now, Macy Barber since then has gone up a division and looked very good with the exception of just getting run over by the truck that is Roxanne Matafari. So, like, you know, the fact that Cyphers looked so good when so many fighters looked so bad against Macy Barber shows me a lot about her. And since then, she's rattled off two very impressive wins. Meanwhile, she's fighting Angela Hill, who has slowly become, you know, like, the darling of the strawweight division. People love her social media presence. People love that she steps up on short notice. But the fact of the matter is that hasn't really translated to results. So whether or not people are dropping money on her because they like her, maybe not the best idea here. And she's taking this fight on short notice as well. So the question is, do I like somebody who has been consistent, who has had a full training camp, and who is an underdog here, or do I like the person who is sort of a fan favorite, probably getting their line bet that way on that one, and is stepping in here on short notice for, for a fighter who got pulled? I, I'm taking Hannah Cyphers, and I think that it's an, an interesting play at plus 145. Yeah, I think especially the short notice aspect makes you feel a little bit better if you had to bet a dog gun to your head why you go with uh, Shockwave here because of that um and the fact that let's face it i mean angela hill she's good but she's not like top of the class good right and anything can happen in an mma fight yeah i would say the only thing that gives me a little pause on it is is angela hill is hyper athletic right like she's very strong for the straw weight division but again like i said cyphers works very well in the clinch and especially on clinch breaks mm, okay okay Good to know. Good to know. Uh, well, let's get to our actual parlay. The parlay to play this week, Nate Landwehr, minus 120, and Arnold Allen, minus 275. Play them together, you get plus 150. 
they're facing Herbert Burns and Nick Lentz. How do you, how and why do you like this parlay? So I already mentioned why I like Arnold Allen so much in his fight is is because he's he's hyper athletic. He's you know he's fighting Nick Lentz, who both had their opponents pulled, and you know like he was supposed to fight Josh Emmett, who is a t- much tougher opponent here. He he's gonna wear out Nick Lentz and beat him pretty easily. Usually I wouldn't use somebody that high in a parlay, but. But the fact of the matter is, like I said before, there's not a lot of close fights. The other close fight I like pairing with him is, you know, the guest of the show today, Nate Landwer. If you've seen his style fighting in Russia, he is absolutely positively one of the most exciting dudes you will watch. He moves forward at a crazy rate. He throws tons of punches, and he does a really good job of stopping counter takedowns. And when you pair him with somebody like Herbert Burns, who has a style like his brother Gilbert... He, he's more of a jiu-jitsu guy, and I just don't see Gilbert Burns, first of all, taking him down. And second of all, I don't see Landwer making the mistake of going to the ground with him, which means he's going to have to box. And, and if he boxes, it's Landwer all day on this one because the guy is absolutely vicious. And like he says on in our interview, he's a fucking savage, and, and he is that to, the, to a T. We're pretty good at what we do. Follow us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. We'll be tweeting during the show. You can thank us for some of these picks, or you can hate on us for any of these picks if we steered you wrong. Uh, but we typically get these right, not wrong. So again, yo, welcome at Top Turtle MMA. Follow us on Twitter. Gumby, I think that about wraps us up. Why don't you tell us what else uh, the fans might need to know? Well, before I get to what else I got for you, I want to give a quick thank you to all of the regulars. First, let me thank our sponsors, Get Lambs and Maroon Social. I also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. They help us get to you, the fans. I also want to thank you, the fans, because obviously this show doesn't happen without you guys out there. And I want to thank you for following us on Twitter. And if you don't follow us on Twitter, head on over there now, at Top Turtle MMA, because we've got cool giveaways coming each and every week, so you want to make sure to be following us there. Now, before we let you go for the week, I do want to leave you with this awesome extra bonus interview with Justine Kish. Please enjoy. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Justine Kish, who fights Lucy Pudilova at UFC in Raleigh, North Carolina on January 25th. So, Justine, you know, just looking back at your record, it has now been almost two years to the date that you have been out of the cage. What led to such a long layoff for you? Man, it, that sounds like a long time, but I swear it flew by. Um, I just suffered another knee injury. Uh, uh, my last fight, uh, just been, uh, this was actually my fourth knee surgery. It just didn't hold up, so I had to get it fixed again and had a complete reconstruction. So the ACL, MCL, PCL, meniscus, a little bit of the meniscus. Uh, they said actually um, they didn't have to replace that one. Um, it's just how to get a fix again and go through another year of rehab, put the time in, um, be diligent with my uh, recovery. Uh, there was no rush to get back into it. I've rushed before, and I uh, got back a little bit earlier than I had to, but then I had to get it fixed again. So this time I was like, I'm just going to take the full time. Um, thank goodness for the uh, UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas and the one in Shanghai, China. I fully utilized the TI, <laughs> the one both in um, the West Coast and in uh, China. Uh, but it just took the time. It was a full year of just recovery, of just physical therapy. And um, I took my time before the surgery because um, 
I wanted to see, uh, I wanted to try uh, the non-surgical route. I tried the stem cell and um, it didn't do what I thought it was, what I was hoping it would do. It did address the pain. The pain was fine, but the stability still wasn't there. So a doctor told me, hey, you're just operating on uh, half a ligament right now. Um, if you try to train or compete on it, there's a chance that uh, you won't be able to ever compete again. And so he's like, I can fix it. You'll be fine. It'll be strong again. It'll be a great knee. Um, but it's going, you're going to have to take a full year of physical therapy. It's going to take a long time. And uh, with that kind of, you know, with but the thing is he was very confident he could fix it. There was a couple that weren't. And um, I wasn't going to try to uh, change their minds about it. So I went with the one that was very confident. And I, I went to a surgeon that was very confident. And I feel like, I mean, it's, it's, it's been all over the place. The surgery was in Los Angeles. My recovery was in Las Vegas. Um, then once I was cleared, I started my training camp in Thailand and finished in China, went back to Las Vegas to decompress to get back on USA time. And now I'm in Los Angeles, uh, L.A., um, polishing up camp and uh, making sure my coaches see all the things that I've been doing and things are very different compared to last time. So it just took time, but it honestly, it flew by. Lots of things going on um, with my uh, with my mom and with uh, with traveling and with my knee. So, um, but right now everything is going in the right direction. I'm really looking forward to January 25th. Well, we're really looking forward to it too. Now, I got to ask you in there too. You know, you mentioned that you know your knee has been through lots of surgeries. You've you've had a tough time. We remember that happening on the Ultimate Fighter as well. How much did that play a factor into your last couple of fights before this big layoff? Um, well, something happened in the fight, in my last fight, that was actually my hometown, um, and I felt it round one after I kicked, I planted, and I felt the pop, and I didn't really get to do what I wanted in the fight, um, I kind of played it safe, but we thought I was winning all the rounds, I guess the judges weren't paying attention, or they didn't see it my way, we thought I was uh, winning the rounds and dominating in there, but something happened. I couldn't really change my levels or go for a takedown or do much of anything. I could pretty, I knew I was limited to which directions I know I could go without feeling a really sharp pain. Um, so I tried not to, you know, let my opponent know I was hurt or anything like that. I didn't want her to take it, you know, use it against me. So it, it had a big effect in my last fight, even though I thought I performed pretty well considering what happened to it after I kicked. Uh, so that took a big factor into it. Uh, just small little things are just happening and just a big incident was just in that last fight. And um, I thought I could shake it off and at least compete again before I had to get it fixed, but no one really saw it my way. <laughs> uh, so I had to do the surgical route. And right now, you know, people that, you know, that I'm training with, um, when I meet him head on, you know, when I meet him the first day, they're like, oh, which one's your bad knee? I was like, it's not my bad knee anymore. It's my good knee. It's much stronger than my other one. Um, so I did exactly what I was supposed to do. I didn't I didn't rush into the process. Um, and the Performance Institute, again, was just incredible. I really, and, you know, this is not just a fit, um, competition hiatus. It was a huge, like, financial hiatus, too. So, um, I did a few, uh, I was able to find a job while I was in Las Vegas, um, while I was doing, I was full-time doing recovery, and when I had any, um, openings or any free time, I just work, uh, part-time at a retail store, uh, so 
just to get by, to get exactly what I needed to get done, uh, the support of my family and my sponsors. Like, they, they know I still have this, this dream, this, this, this you know, my, uh, accomplishing my goals. So they completely supported me in my decisions and all of my, uh, all the moves that I went all over the world. Um, I miss home, though. I really miss home. I miss my family. But um, I did this all for the sport. I'm not, I'm not ready to give up. I had to get something, I had to get my knee fixed get back to training and compete because I really, really want to showcase what I believe I'm capable of. And I, and, and in my mind, I don't think the UFC or the MMA culture has really, truly seen me at my best. Um, it's hard to get momentum in the UFC just because you can only compete every few months versus when I was competing every weekend in Muay Thai. And, you know, I have close to 40 fights, but the past, since I started UFC, I've only had like, I think, this would be my fifth UFC fight. So it's hard to get momentum. Uh, it's so much I want to do and so much I want to cover, and you only have 15 minutes to do it, and <laughs> it's, it's hard. Absolutely. Now, I want to go back to something you said in there, too, because you mentioned traveling all over the world. You mentioned traveling you know, to Shanghai, to, to training in, in Thailand. What has sort of been the basis of your training camp? Have your coaches gone with you? And, and maybe you know, who are your main coaches now? <laughs> uh, no, I have a lot of new coaches. My coaches, my t normal coaches didn't go with me. Um, I kind of wanted to change things up. You know, I don't want to be very, pre I don't want to be predictable when I go back uh, to the, when I return to the octagon. So um, just change up what I typically do. And I met new coaches and um, they're in Shanghai. There's an MMA academy out there. They have a, um, um, a combine program for mixed martial arts and you know after being over out for almost two years um these sort of skills are perishable so i gotta you know re i gotta instill the fundamentals and i gotta do so sharply and make sure it's precise and accurate and the technique is right so just you know going down to the uh, fundamentals and they have an incredible mma program and it's programmed and tapered just very well versus me just doing things on my own when I'm just all over the place, I'm trying to cover every aspect of MMA each and every day. And I realized that's just, that was just wearing me out, wearing my body out. And it didn't matter what I felt in my mind, my body was just not keeping up with my mind. And that's what I'm learning now. Um, and I'm much more educated. I feel like I'm, like I'm a better and smarter athlete because uh, I've been, you know, very guided, very well guided. And, um, it's tough when you have so many different coaches. You don't want to explain, well, I just did this workout. I just did that workout. Um, I feel like they don't want to hear it. You go there and you give 100% no matter what you did that day. Um, and I don't, you know, I just feel like if I stress, well, I have an, I'm sore here. I'm sore there. Or you did two workouts earlier today. <laughs> Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, you mentioned going back to the fundamentals in there too. Obviously, you, you are completely out of competition for two years, like you said. Are you worried at all about ring rust when you get back in there? I, I know some people think that that's a myth and, and some people believe in it. Where, where do you stand on that? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I could definitely say I have, there's, some, <laughs> there's some anxiety with that. But um, I've dealt with, this, with the same anxiety before and... Uh, you know, this isn't my first knee surgery, and I feel like I have I put on really good fights when I make a when I make a return. I've had different coaches, I have a different sort of style, different cadence. Um, I feel like I'm I have a little better. Like I'm still trying to figure out 
uh, the UFC rules and the MMA, like I was at least. Um, I learned a lot about the sport, about MMA, um, and I think the transition. So, yeah, I mean, there's, of course, there's a little bit of lingering anxiety with, you know, ring rust, but um, that seems, I, I, I tackle those feelings um, with training sessions and um, it makes me, it definitely makes me feel better. Um, uh, I'm in great company. I've, I've been with, you know, just stellar fighters um, and they push me, they, they kick my butt every single day. So it was, it was hard not being the best one at the gym, but um, I think it's really going to pay off at the end uh, because um, they really pushed me to the max. And this was a, a very hard camp, uh, but um, a very educational camp for me too. So I hope that I've addressed, I hope I did everything I could to address the the feelings of ring rust, but yeah, they certainly, the feelings certainly exist. But again, I just try to tackle those feelings with training sessions or with communication with my coaches. Um, but yeah, two years off does things to your head for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Now let, let's talk about the fight itself too, because it's an exciting one. Lucy Putalova has had some absolute slugfest. She had like a really exciting bout with Lena Landsberg. Uh, that was pretty much absolutely crazy. What are your thoughts on her as a return opponent here for you after that layoff? I feel like this is an ideal matchup for my style. Uh, she's a go-getter. She's a, she's a, she'll go in there throwing bombs. She uh, goes forward. She, uh, this is a very, uh, her style I think will, is, is, is fantastic. I really don't like running around in there and chasing after people. I want to go in there. I want to fight. Um, and I think she has the same aggressive style. Um, she wants to go in there and fight. Uh, she's a go-getter, and I feel like this is going to be great for my style uh, because I want people – I don't want to be – it's very confusing to me to be chasing people or to be beaten up more by the canvas this than by my opponent. <laughs> like, that's been the the, the 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 struggle last – you know, they're smart and they're – uh, just kind of like not really fighting, but, you know, letting the clock run and just being very evasive. And um, that's really annoying for me. I want to go in there and want to fight. And I feel like she wants to go in there and fight. And um, I think it's a fantastic matchup. Uh, we are actually both coming off of losses. Uh, though my, I would I would say that mine was an arguable loss. Um, we're still not sure what happened. But anyways, we both, we both need a win. So, um, I mean, I know... With, with me, I want to go in there and I want to put on a show and put on a good fight. Um, and I want to, I'm really excited to show like this, the style that I, that I have now. Well, we're certainly excited for it too. Once again, guys, this was Justine Kish who fights Lucy Pudalova at UFC in Raleigh, North Carolina on January 25th. Justine, we're excited to see it when it comes time. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, thanks so much, Dan. Great talking to you, and thanks for having me on Flow Combat. I love it.